Welcome to this episode of Checking It From The Cheap Seats. Today, we are joined by the head coach of Florida Atlantic, former Eastern Green superstar, Dusty May. Coach May is going to talk to us in this episode about his journey from Oakland City University to then being a manager for Bob Knight at IU, coaching underneath Henry Bibby at USC, then back to Indiana. Follow his journey throughout this episode as he talks about what it takes to be successful as a head coach and having balance in everything that you do. Enjoy this episode. There's lots of golden nuggets inside. Chucking it from the cheap seats. Chucking it from the cheap seats is brought to you by Shootaway. Offering products like 12K series guns proven by time and again by the nation's top school and college coaches slash programs. For special pricing discounts, contact Bruce Helt at 317-767-5543 or go to shootaway.com. For over 32 years, D1 Basketball has offered elite basketball camps and top-tier player development programs. Team camps, individual skills camps, shooting camps, we improve performance, period. Few Indiana basketball camps impact performance like D1 Basketball. Since 1989, annual enrollment in D1 Basketball has grown from 80 to 3,500 players making it one of the largest independent basketball organizations in the Midwest. The mission of D1 Basketball is to help coaches and players maximize their performance. D1 Basketball Facts D1 Basketball Camps are exclusively endorsed by the Indiana Basketball Coaches Association. D1 Team Camps has hosted more sectional championship teams, Final Four teams, and Indiana All-Stars than any other camp, shootout, or summer tournament. D1 team camps provide the best chance for a school's coach to work with all their teams against top flight competition from throughout the Midwest. All right, here. So uh, this morning on the uh, Chugging It from the Cheap Seats podcast, we are blessed to have Dusty May, the head basketball coach at Florida Atlantic, um, on the podcast with us today. Dusty, thanks for being on with us this morning. And, and I know you've just recently had a surgery on the meniscus. And so... Um, uh, thanks for, for taking time out of your busy day today to be on with us. Hey, Josh, it's great to be on. And obviously, I've got more time than usual right now. So I'm good to go. Yeah, yeah. You told me before we went on that you're laid up a little bit. You had the meniscus and uh, you can't even straighten that leg out here for another three or four weeks. So uh, I know you're looking forward to that. Absolutely. It's, it's been hard, but uh, it's part of it. Luckily, it's in the off season where I have some time to recover and our guys went home for a few weeks. So. Uh, it gives me a little bit of time to, to rest and, and regroup and, and, and uh, recharge my mind and body and get get ready to get back for, after for the summer. Absolutely. You know what's what's funny is in coaching, you have to be strategic even when you have surgery on your meniscus. <laughs> no question. And and, and we've we've uh, adopted a little bit of an educational format with with almost like lesson plans. We uh, we strategically plan when we want to put in what, and we're trying to get better at it every year. So uh-huh. uh, this gives you a little bit of time to read and, and reflect and, and then kind of plan for the for the uh, summer workouts, which are as pivotal as any now because you can get ahead. Uh, you can really uh, analyze, evaluate your team. So, uh, yeah, these these next couple weeks will be important just planning out the rest of the summer. Absolutely. Well, Coach, um you know, you've been at Florida Atlantic now for four years, um, and, and you obviously grew up in Greene County. You're an Indiana guy. Um, tell our listeners just a little bit about your journey. A lot of people know you and know you played there at Eastern Green, but just kind of talk us through how you got from Eastern Green as a player to now coaching Division One basketball. It's, it's a long story, but first of all, just I think that the passion for the game that, that we have back home um, is kind of what led me on this path. Um, I started playing Eastern Bitty basketball, and from the time I started playing, I actually fell in love with the game. And then, obviously, the program that Coach Barnheiser built at Eastern uh, as young kids, we all wanted to be a part of it and spent uh, just about every waking hour uh, working to be a part of it. So um, I definitely got my love of the game just back home in, in, in Greene County and, and uh, you know, just the, the, the passion everyone has for the game of basketball. Uh, but I, I played one year at Oakland City, 
uh, didn't have a great experience and, and uh, transferred back to Indiana to be a student manager for, for Coach Knight for four years. And, and my goal was, um, I thought working for Coach Knight, I could get a varsity head coaching position shortly after college, just mm-hmm. having him as a, as a resource. Mm-hmm. Um, I was sitting in the video room one day. I was probably a sophomore manager, so it had been my third year out, but I was a sophomore manager at Indiana, and, and uh, one of the assistant coaches asked me what I was going to do, and I said, I'm going to coach. And he said, college or high school? And at that point, I didn't even know college was an option. You know, you're, you're from Greene County. You don't really know. You know, you don't know any college coaches, really. So mm-hmm. um, you, you didn't even know that that was a viable option. Um, but after he told me that, then he, he rattled off what some of the other guys before me, uh, what they were doing in, in college basketball and then even the professional ranks. And I said, man, that sounds fun. I think I'll do that. So I changed my major from, from education to history. Uh, which gave me more flexibility class-wise, and I started uh, driving the assistant coaches to recruiting trips. If, if Pat Knight was going to St. Louis to watch David Lee on a Monday, I would drive him there and drive him back, and then obviously get to watch the game and see how he interacted with coaches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Coach Davis, heck, he was driving to Atlanta to watch a high school game. I'd drive him to Atlanta, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously my academics took a <laughs> took the backseat <laughs> to all that. Uh, but I would just I started just trying to learn the business and, and profession and. Um, before my senior year, Dan Block and I coached an AU team on the circuit just to try to get a better feel for, for that side of it. Um, so I did all that as, as an undergraduate, and then I, I fell into a spot at, at USC um, as a video coordinator, basically director of operations out of college. And it was simply a, 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 a lucky uh, break where um, Coach Bibby, who was the head coach at USC at the time, was close friends with Coach Trelo and Coach Davis from the CBA. Uh-huh. And they're, they're watching an AU game, as coaches do, sitting there talking, ha- half watching. And he said, man, I need, a, I need a young guy that'll work. I had an NBA player on my staff. He just he didn't work hard enough. He couldn't get enough done. Um, I had to let him go. I just need a young guy that'll hustle and work. And they said, oh, we've got a guy for you. Mm-hmm. So long story short, um, I, I go out to, to Southern Cal for a couple of years, have a great experience there. We, we make the lead eight. Um, I learned a ton. Um, coach Davis then had, had become the full-time coach at Indiana. He, he creates a position, brings me back. Um, I'm there, I think, three years. And then um, I was bumped up on the road twice and then bumped back down as, as the next season started. So I was kind of determined to get back on the floor on the road full-time. Mm-hmm. Um, after three years, I left to go to Eastern Michigan. I was there one year. Uh, I moved to Murray State, uh, Murray State to UAB back for Mike Davis, uh, UAB to Louisiana Tech for Kerry Rupp. I was there for two years, and Coach Rupp got let go. And the, the next coach, Mike White, fortunately uh, kept me on staff. Um, he was there four years. I was there all four years with him. We won three straight championships and, and got the opportunity at the University of Florida um, and then went to Florida, made the lead eight, had another great run, and then uh, was fortunate enough to, to land this job at Florida Atlantic. So it's, it's been a big circle, but uh, very, very grateful for the people that have helped me and, and uh, the experiences that, that I've been able to, uh, to live through. You know, you talked about that time where you, you came back from USC to Indiana, and I had transferred um, to IU to finish up my ed degree from Hanover College. And I was taking uh, Coach Davis's coaching a basketball class, and I, I knew you um, from playing in high school. Obviously, you were older than me, and you were one of those guys that I looked up to. And even though you were wearing the red and black, um, I always always liked the way you played, and and uh, thought, man, you know, there are different traits that Dusty exhibits on the floor. Even though you played a different position, just just your intensity and your energy on the floor, and how hard you played, always respected that. And then, you know, you were. You were basically you taught that class. Coach Davis came in a couple times, but you taught that class, and I just remember sitting in that class. I learned a lot um, about basketball. I remember you did some stuff with the triangle offense in that class, but I just just your presence, and I, I thought, man, one of these days this guy is going to be a head coach at the Division One level. So it's exciting for me to see you make that that evolution. So congratulations on all your success getting to this point. Um, but you know, w- with all that travel, obviously, you know, that, that can be a little taxing on your family. Uh, I, I know you, you, um, you know, you, you've got a very strong family life. Tell us a little bit about how you balance that and, and, you know, different things about your family. It was tough. We had our oldest son, Jack, when we were in LA and, and when we, when he was just before he turned one is when we took the job back at Indiana. And then we had our second son, Charlie at Indiana and. 
so we had a lot of help and the support system was that that was the best move for us and then the hardest was taking the eastern michigan job and even though it's five hours away you're still basically removing your 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 support system with kids and and you're making life a lot harder on your wife because she's she's doing the heavy lifting she's doing all the work yeah um and and so then we took the job at Murray State, and it actually was a little bit closer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once we moved to, to UAB and, and La Tech, um, you know, it's just it's finding routine and, and doing and, and just try to, I guess, keep up yeah. uh, every day. And uh, you know, I took my sons to if I went recruiting, they went with me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were I always worked for great people, so they were they allowed my kids to be in the gym and grow up around our players and just mm-hmm. be in the office all the time. So fortunately that really helped because I could take the older two uh, with me most of the time. And then my wife could kind of manage the, the, the younger one and she worked full time as well uh, all those years. So it was hard. It's a blur, you know, you blink and it's, it's gone. But, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I, I, I do think our, our, our boys are all very uh, responsive to change. They, they adapt to all the new situations and, and hopefully that, that pays off for them. Yeah. Um, you know, as, as they enter whatever, whatever careers they choose. Now, how old is your oldest now? He's 20, and he just finished his sophomore year at Florida where he's a walk-on uh-huh. uh, for Coach White, and, and now he's going to stay on for Coach Golden. Yeah. Um, he's going to graduate this year, and then uh, he'll still have three years to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he played the first year during COVID, then he redshirted, and now this year he'll play. So he'll graduate with three years. So he may go play someplace else. He may, they, may stay there and get an MBA. He's mm-hmm. not sure yet, but he, he's going to have a lot of good options after this year. Now, my middle son is going to walk on at UCF mm-hmm. uh, this fall for Johnny Dawkins. Yeah. And then the, they'll be in American Conference for one more year. And then when, when we come into the league, they'll leave and go to the Big 12. Yeah. Um, and, and then my youngest is, is finishing his sophomore year of high school now here in Boca. Well, you know, and I've enjoyed watching them from afar. And, um, you know, I know they both had really good high school careers and, and, uh, you know, now getting to play at the next level, that's pretty incredible. Uh, speaks a little bit to the genes. Are the genes a little bit better on your wife's side, do you think, than on your side? <laughs> yeah, they, they definitely they got the height for my wife and her side of the family. They're, they're big boys. But they actually, every Christmas break, um, someone in the family would try to take them to a local uh, basketball game, whether it was a Lagodi or Bar Reeve or North Davies or, or Eastern or Bloomfield or whatever the case. And yeah. they absolutely love the, the hoops back home just because – it, it still has that 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 uh, in, uh, level of importance that you just don't have down here in football country with the beaches and everything. So they they've always been very familiar with with hoops back home. Yeah, that's that's awesome that you guys have been able to to share Indiana basketball with them. Um, last week I had Mike Burris on, uh, who's an assistant at UND, and uh, you know Mike's a good friend of mine. Uh, think a lot of Mike, but you know he talked about Coach Corsaro there at, at UND, and and you you touched on making sure that the, the people you've worked for have embraced your family and allowed your kids to be there. Uh, how important is it, you know, whether you're a college coach or a high school coach, to you to find the right fit for you? I mean, 100%. You need guys that are aligned uh, with, with you uh, as far as their belief system and their morals and, and, and how they operate. And our staff, there, there's no ego. We're all, we're all like friends. I mean, when, when we go home, it, it, you know, that we're talking and texting. And, and so every day it's a, it's a great work environment because everyone just wants to win and support our players. And that's not always the case in college basketball. So, so I'm fortunate that I was, I was uh, able to work for guys that, that really supported my family and them being around. And, and then I knew how important that was to me. So it's extremely important to me when I see our staff, they have young kids. Uh, if we have an off day, their their sons are in the gym shooting with our players, or they're just around. So those things are important. I think it's great for our guys too, just to see that that the coaches working with them every day are normal people. They they have families uh, just like them, and and uh, it, it just it fosters a much more of a, a family culture, family environment. Absolutely. You know, um, another thing that I talked about with Mike was. You know, how good Greene County basketball was whenever you were in high school. Um, you know, it's yeah. it's crazy. Um, and I, I, no disservice to Greene County basketball now and, and the players because there are some really good players. Obviously, Linton is going through a really good run of talent. Um, there were Joey coaching them and, and little Joey playing there. But when I look back to the late 80s and the 90s, um, and just how good Green County basketball was, it's pretty amazing uh, to think about the level of play 
And I don't know that there, you know, there were a few players that were absolute standouts and some Indian All-Stars, but most of the guys were just blue-collar guys, and it was just great basketball. Just kind of touch on that a little bit, about how good that was during that era. Yeah, I, I remember being a, a, a young, probably junior high school, I'm not even sure, and watching Mike Sherrard and thinking, like, wow, this guy, you know, because I was a smaller guard thinking, mm-hmm. man, this guy, like, he's incredible. Like, those guys were like our superhero figures. Yeah. I mean, even when they went to different schools. And then you talk about Green County, even even, even Union County. I mean, when you think Duggar's just right yeah. on the line, and mm-hmm. you have the boys and, and Coach Hard and all those guys, I mean, I know, and, and, and uh, Todd Abernathy's on my staff, and, and his dad's an NDI legend, and, and he grew up playing AU, and, and he's, you know, we talk about it all the time. He'll say, whatever happened to the one kid? I'll say, Jared Chambers. And he'll say, man, he was good. Like, the, there were so many, like, Division One players uh, during that area, and I haven't even touched on White River Valley and the Graves and all those guys. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's incredible to look back and, and think – that all those guys came through around the same time period. And I, I think it was just a, a tribute to, to the coaching and just how much the game meant to everyone involved. Oh, yeah. And, and Mike and I talked about the Green County tournament and how great that tournament was. <laughs> yeah. You know, it just it, – there were some classic battles. Um, I, I We didn't play in it. Bloomfield didn't play in it. Um, but I remember as a kid and then as a high school player going over to watch those games and just how phenomenal those games were. And then, um, you know, when I had Joey on the podcast uh, a couple months back, you know, he and I talked about like pickup games in the Bloomfield Park. And you go down there and you see <laughs> Matthew Graves going against Joey Hart. And Joey would bring Mo back from Coastal Carolina. And just, you know, yeah. you drive by on the highway and you'd look over there and you'd see 15 college basketball players playing over there. Um, it was yeah. definitely a great time. Yeah, you go to open gym in the morning or you do your workout with your, your teammates in the morning and you go find some games at the Bloomfield Park and then you probably play in a, in a, a city league at Bloomington South that night. <laughs> yeah. And then in, in between, you're probably belling hay or cutting cutting grass. <laughs> <doing some work. laughs> that pretty much consisted of, of every day in the summer. You just described the typical uh, day for a, a Green County basketball player from like between 1970 all the way through 2000. I don't know if kids up there even know what Balen Hay is anymore, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it, no. no, those those were typical days. So, Coach, you know, now you are you are in year five. You're going into year five, and you and I, before we went on the air, you kind of talked about some of the stuff that you're doing with your team, um, really from like an educational standpoint of, of how you've got things that you're putting in kind of go through some of the stuff that you're doing with your team now here in the spring as you transition to the summer. Um, in, in the spring, um, we, we try to make it, it as fun as possible while also kind of fostering whatever environment we felt like we lacked. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we, so we had majority of our older players had some nagging injuries. A couple of them had minor surgeries after the season. And so we had our young group, and we didn't feel like they were quite as competitive as they needed to be. Mm-hmm. So we tried to make every drill as competitive as possible and even putting them on an island with different one-on-ones and mm-hmm. playing at the closeouts. Um, but now, um, you know, we, we really try to – before the summer, we take a, a step back and take a deep breath and, and really analyze our team from a distance. Because when, uh, when you're in the battle, it, it's hard to see – um, a lot of your flaws or some things. So, for example, we, we've been one of the top shooting teams in the league of the last three years in threes, twos, and free throws. And we've been third or fourth offensively in the league out of 14. And the reason we haven't been able to get over the hump and be one or two is because we turn the ball over so much. So we've done a deep dive this, this spring into um, our turnovers and then analyzing the turnovers basically as a decision-making, is it a lack of skill, or is it our system – and our system's not putting them in the right positions to be successful and trying to break down the, cap, the, the uh, turnovers into those three categories. And then after that, the, we've been able to pick up some themes of, man, we didn't do this very well. We need to spend a few minutes every day working on that or emphasizing that mm-hmm. uh, when we start summer workouts. So, um, But like most teams, as soon as you, you, you uh, plug one hole in the dam, another one cracks. So mm-hmm. I'm, sure, yeah, yeah. I'm sure once we get this fixed, there'll be new ones, but that's, that's the challenge and, and the problem solving of coaching. So um, I feel like if we can do that and then get a little bit better defensively, then, then we'll be in contention to win the league next year. That's awesome. So you talked about being in contention to win your league. You guys obviously play there in Conference USA. This last year you were second place in the East Division uh, in Conference USA. Who are some of the teams that you're trying to track down to get to the top of the mountain in, 
in that conference? UAB the last year or so has been has been loaded talent wise. They uh-huh. they brought in between six and ten high major transfers, and most of them have, have produced at the high major level and just ended up back at UAB for a, a number of reasons, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's playing time or just a better situation. And then North Texas has kind of set the standard as far as consistency, mm-hmm. and um, you know they they play at a very slow tempo. They guard you and just challenge every single possession. They they rarely play in transition, so it's a low possession game. And they're extremely physical, solid, disciplined, and they don't beat themselves. So they've been able to to be in contention the last couple of years, um, and more uh, as a as a, uh, a, a cumulative uh, effect of, as a, as opposed to individual talent. Where UAB has great individual talent, I think they're they're the sum of their parts are much better than their individuals. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you know Western Kentucky and Louisiana Tech. I mean, they have high major size, length, athleticism. Um, so th- those top teams have, have been uh, – they've been a challenge. But um, we, we feel like we've been able to beat almost all those teams consistently at home. We haven't been able to get over the hump and beat them on the road quite yet. But we feel like we've been inching closer. And, and we'll be, uh, we'll be uh, more experienced in season next year than we've been where we have nine of our top ten producers back mm-hmm. uh, plus a redshirt that set out that, that, that uh, was one of our better players the year prior. And then we signed three players that we feel like can really help us. So, in the next year. so it sounds like you've got a lot of guys coming back next year, and then if you get those guys healthy off those injuries, then, then you guys could be in play to, to challenge those teams. Absolutely. I think we'll be, we'll be picked, I would assume, in the top three or four, mm-hmm. um, which is extremely high for Florida Atlantic, Atlantic, Atlantic and then even as high as two. Mm-hmm. Um, but none of that matters. I mean, it's, it still comes down to, to us addressing some of our weaknesses and, and, and coming together and, and, and finding a way to make timely free throws, make timely shots. Uh, all the things that goes into it to winning. Absolutely. Coach, you, you talked about, um, you know, UAB being one of the top teams in your league and how they've had some guys transfer in that are high major guys, uh, maybe some power five guys that that have transferred in there. With with you and recruiting, where do you put your strategy? Do you – I know the transfer portal has completely changed college basketball, um, and I'm sure we could probably talk for an hour, an hour and a half on that. But where do you where do you and your staff really spend most of your time? Do you look at guys that may be transferring from these high major schools, or are you still still targeting the high school guys coming out? We 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 do a lot with high school recruiting. Actually, our our we call them COVID freshmen from last year. That that class of four are all very productive players for us, mm-hmm. and this will be their third year with us. We enjoy the high, recruiting high school players, bringing them in, developing them, and then growing with them mm-hmm. um, throughout the process. So that that that's priority number one, just because that's the way we prefer to do it. Not that it's the best way or the only way, because obviously now. Uh, four years is an eternity with with college players, but it's something that we we simply enjoy more mm-hmm. um, and feel like the continuity and and all those things. Um, you know, we what we really try to to we invest so much in our guys time wise and relationship wise, and 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 uh, so you know when when you're bringing guys in for one or two years, you don't really have that same effect that that coaches should have on players. So mm-hmm. we enjoy the long process, but we we recruit the transfer portal, we recruit junior college, we recruit a little bit. Our roster is pretty diverse. Um, I do think that the transfer portal uh, gets a little bit of a bad rap. Number one, a lot of coaches, the recruiting process is so short. So a mm-hmm. lot of the veteran coaches love it because they can really hone in for a week or two. Mm-hmm. And they they know pretty much what they're going to get from a production standpoint. Maybe not intangibly, but from a production standpoint, they can hone in and really recruit hard for one to four weeks. Where with high school players, sometimes you have to recruit two, three, four years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. to, to get them to make a decision. So I think that's one side of the transfer portal that, that uh, I, I think a lot of coaches enjoy that's just not such a long process um, because when you invest two or three years and then you don't get the player, you're, you know, all the time and money that, that the university spent and, and you've spent your time is, is you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's deflating, but that's, that's part of it. And then the other piece is with the, the, the extra year for COVID, you know, we got the extra scholarship last year, so we played with 14 last year as opposed to 13. Well, that goes away, and now you have a glut of older, established players in college basketball that would otherwise be done playing right now. Well, they're still going to be on rosters because they're older, they're proven, and the best players are always going to be on the rosters, you know, in, in, in most cases. So 
you have this glut of players, probably 20 to 20 to 35 percent more college players are sitting on rosters now instead of playing professionally someplace or moving on into the real world. And that's affecting these high school players more than more than the transfer portal. Mm -hmm. Coach, you also talked about, um, you know, in, in your past working for Coach Davis. What's what's Coach Davis up to now? He's coaching University of Detroit Mercy, and uh, he coaches his son, Antoine, who's one of the best uh, players in, in college basketball. He's, he's coincidentally in the transfer portal now uh, trying to figure out his next move. And it, it's been fun to, to follow Coach Davis's career. He did, uh, did a, an amazing job at UAB, then went to Texas Southern and went to the tournament a couple times, did a great job there. And, and uh, Detroit, they haven't, quite as, they haven't been quite as successful, but they're on the, the doorstep of, of uh, making another run there. But Coach Davis is someone that I, I learned a, a great deal from. Uh, he's, he's a great person. He's a great ball, a, a great basketball coach. And it's been really neat watching his son uh, play at such a high level because I knew Antoine when he was a baby uh -huh. um, back when he was in Indiana. So, um, yeah, he's doing well. I, I still talk to him regularly and, and follow his team. And, and, and we, we still talk recruits and recruiting and things like that. That's awesome. Um, you know, you also touched on the fact that you were a student manager after you transferred from Oakland City uh, back to IU. Uh, what's one of your – your better or, or your favorite coach night stories uh, from, from being a student manager there? Maybe a story from practice or a road trip or something along those lines. Yeah, Josh, just, there's so many stories with, <laughs> with coach night and, and in my mind, they're all positive because the impact yeah. that he had on me. And, and I just look back and, and think about the impact that he had on people uh -huh. and the, you know, the amazing ability he had to elevate the intensity of, of a basketball arena, of a practice gym, of a classroom, wherever he was, he was able to elevate the intensity and focus of where he was uh, because of his approach and, and, and his intensity and his size and stature and all that. But just the way he, he taught and, and coached every day and then looking back at how much his players uh, appreciated him when they were done. Uh, when they were when they had finished their playing careers especially so mm -hmm. those are the things that, that really stand out about coach Knight and and you know when you're going through it I didn't know all that I was learning at, at the time I think it's probably like gaining wisdom from your father you don't you don't know you're picking it up uh, but it's like that daily daily uh, you know it, it, the, the, the battle is daily that you're picking up and even now as a head coach I probably refer back to more that I've learned from him than at any other point in my career uh, just because so many things pop into my head that he did or he said that I think can help our team. So um, it, it, it was an awesome experience. Very, very, very grateful to, to be a part of, of that program in such a small way. But I met so many great people and learned so much. It was, it was an invaluable experience. Absolutely. You know, and, and you touched on that. Uh, a, really good, a really good comment there was sometimes you don't really truly appreciate um, all the knowledge that you gain from somebody by being around them. And until after the fact and you're down the road and, and you encounter a situation as a head coach and it's like, you know, I remember Coach Knight handled it this way or Coach Davis handled it this way. Um, and, and those are things that we can draw on. And like you said, it's almost like the knowledge that you gain from your dad that you don't truly appreciate when you're a 16-year-old kid. But when you're 36, it means a lot more to you. <laughs> Absolutely. Even during the time, whenever I went thinking I'm going to learn a lot of basketball, Mm -hmm. And I did, and, and it was awesome. But I, I feel like I'd learned, you know, Coach Barnheiser was a lot like Coach Knight, and I felt like I learned a lot about basketball. It was very similar. And looking back, I learned so much more about the, the periphery of basketball than the actual X's and O's, the way he taught, the way he, he did things, and, and the way he thought at, at a deeper level. Those were the things, that, looking back, that I learned more than just uh, the things you'd pick up at a coaching clinic. Yeah. You, know, you, you touched on Coach Barnheiser there in high school. And, uh, you know, I just remember obviously being there at Bloomfield and, and watching him coach and just seeing, you know, not only how intense he was in games, but I can remember going up to open gyms um, and, and different <laughs> things. And I, I just remember, you know, number one, I always appreciated him letting us in, come into some open gyms up there at Eastern. But then, you know, you would hear stories about him getting in and doing his own workouts and stuff like that at like 5.15 in the morning. I mean, do you remember those days of, of him doing that type of stuff before school? Yeah, that's that's when I, I feel like I developed my work ethic. Um, and he was trying to get games together when he got to Eastern. And I was probably in like seventh grade. Uh -huh. And my house was on the way to the gym. 
and because he was coming from Bloomington and I lived out on 54 right on the way. Yeah. And so he's trying to round up people and, he, and high school kids couldn't play because he played. So it was it was John Gliva and, and Coach Caldwell. And and so he's trying and, and there were a few of us junior high students that, that love to play that could get there in the morning. Because, mm-hmm. you know, Eastern, heck, you live out in Owensburg, you might be 30 minutes away and your exactly. parents aren't bringing you in at 530 a.m. Yeah. So he would pick me up every morning. Um, he would stop pulling my house. I'd be waiting at the front, literally waiting at the front door. And as soon as I saw the lights pulling down the road, I would run out. And as soon as he pulled in, I would jump in the car. So it was, it was like a morning routine. Then I'd ride with him to school. And I'm a seventh grader. I'm never saying a word. He'd be reading the newspaper, uh, steering with his knees on, on the winding road of Highway 54. <laughs> <laughs> driving his old cutlass and he's looking at MBA and college scores and, and, uh-huh. and, and people used to ask me all the time, does Barnizer read the paper while he drives? People talk about texting and driving yeah. distraction. Yeah. <laughs> Barnizer took that to, to another level with, oh, his, with wow. his newspaper. So he'd read the newspaper driving and, and there was one time in, in however many years that, that he picked me up that I, I was, uh, I told my mom, can you go tell coach Barnizer I'm too sick? I don't feel well. And she went out and she said, Coach, uh, Dusty's sick. He's not going to be able to make it today. And, and he said, tell Dusty, be out here within five minutes. <laughs> so oh, wow. In the discussion, we need, we need enough to play. And, you know, his standards, his, his love of the game, his, his, you know, how much he gave to us. He gave us, you know, his most valuable resource, which was his time. I mean, he was at the open the gym early in the morning. He had it open at noon. He was there all afternoon, all evening. And if you're willing to put in the work, he really, really appreciated, um, you know, guys that were that were bought in. And then, you know, I, I talk about his standards. It wasn't just basketball. He was our cross country coach. And I think one year, one year going in the state meet, we were like 54 and 0, just because he made everyone compete at such a high level every yeah. single day in cross country practice. And it was, there was such a competitive uh, um, spirit and competitive you know, level competition every single day where the basketball players and like one or two real runners were out there. And like, we ended up having really good cross country success just because of how hard he pushed us and made us work and, and things like that. So I, I, I can't uh, say enough good things about coach Barnheiser and, and what he did for me. And he's, he's the reason I wanted to get into coaching uh, because of the impact that he had on me. Well, and you talk about his intensity, even as a cross country coach. Um, I can remember um, one year when I was in junior high, that his goal as a cross-country coach was at the SWIAC meet that Eastern would not only win, but get a perfect score, get a 15. And, and th- that's what he was pushing guys to do that because he was so competitive. He didn't want anybody else in the top five. And uh, I just remember that. And like you said, when, you, when you're around people like that, it just drives you. It just, it just catches on. And there, you know, there was there was no bad day. There was no I didn't have it. Like every single day, you you had to bring it. Those were expectations. Even with with practice, if if you were sluggish at practice, then it, you would start out with this eight and one forty fives, which is down and back eight times in a minute forty five. And we may have done three or four of those before we we blink an eye because maybe someone dropped a pass or missed a layup. Uh-huh. And so there was there was such a a, a level of of. Um, I, I don't want to say fear, but there was, you know, you, you do, you better be on it every single day, no matter what the circumstances are, are, are you're going to face coach Barnizer and, and no one wanted that. <laughs> you had to be sharp. You had to be sharp. You had to be sharp. Um, you know, coach, you, you talked earlier about when you were an assistant at Florida and going to the elite eight, would that be the top, you know, the, the, the top memory you've had from college basketball as an assistant or, or, is there something else that that stands out in front of that? Yeah, probably. Um, you know, at at, at, uh, at Eastern Michigan, we were rebuilding. We'd have our good year, and then Murray State. Murray State was I was there one year, and we took over a program and signed ten players that spring, and, and was able to. At that point, there was like twenty some years of, of a winning record at Murray, so we were trying to keep that intact. And then that team went on to win a couple championships after I left. And then at UAB, we finished second in Conference USA, and that was the time when, when Calipari was at Memphis and that Derrick Rose, and gotcha. they were number one in the country. So we felt like that second was almost like winning a championship because of, of, of who we're facing. And then at La Tech, I think winning the, the three regular season championships were very rewarding mm-hmm. uh, because the regular season championship is such a grind where you're oh, going yeah. 18, 20 games. And if, if you can win a championship, then you, you've been through some battles. And, and then, yeah, probably the, the Elite Eight year, um, you know, that one's a little bit disappointing because we had a big lead against South Carolina. 
Um, our starting center had been injured just prior to the tournament. So we feel like we had a potential Final Four National Championship team if everything could have came together. But we blew a lead against South Carolina, and then they ended up going to the Final Four. But, um, yeah, that, that group coming together um, was, was really unique, especially uh, I think that was a season where they were renovating our the O-Dome, the arena at Florida. So we played all pre-conference on the road or neutral site. We did a barnstorming tour uh-huh. around Florida where we play a game in Jacksonville, a game in Tampa a game down in Sunrise down here by Miami. Then we play in New York and New Jersey. So we played all pre-conference on the road because we didn't have a home arena. Yeah. And then we went into the SEC play and we were very, we were battle tested. I think we finished second that year, but had a great season. And that team didn't have a high, didn't have high expectations. So for those guys to do what they did, because um, the year prior we'd went to the NIT with Dorian Finney-Smith, uh, who's now a, a, a making $15 million a year starting for the Mavericks is one of their best players. So we lose him and bring uh, most of the other guys back and, and added uh, a grad transfer. And so expectations weren't high. So that team probably uh, healthy would have, you know, would have been in contention for national championship. But yeah, anytime a group maxes out and you feel like, man, we played about as well as this group can, that's when you're really, you know, you have satisfaction as a coach where, it's the years when you look back and you say, "Man, we weren't we weren't quite there. We weren't quite as connected, or we weren't quite as disciplined as we needed to be. Whatever we weren't quite uh, in that area." When you say that, that those are the years that that you you wish uh, you could go back and do some things differently. But yeah, that that Florida team and then the LaTeX championship teams were all years where. Um, you know, you look back and say, man, we pretty much maxed out as a team. We may have lost a gamer here or there because of a, a buzzer beater or a free throw, but man, we, we played about as well as a, as a group as we could have. Yeah, that's awesome. When, when you get a team, like you said, that just absolutely maximizes their talent. You know, you hit on, hit on something there that I want to go back to. Um, you, you talked about Derrick Rose and talked about coaching against John Calipari. You talked about the, the Elite Eight team and you lose to South Carolina and one of Coach Martin's best teams that he had there at South Carolina. A bit of advice that, that I've been given in coaching is to don't get so caught up in things that you forget to enjoy the moment. Do you, or has there been times, Dusty, where you've just kind of sat over there in, in the chair on the sideline and kind of looked down at the other end uh, on the other bench and see like Coach Cal down there or look out there on the floor and see Derrick Rose and just think, my gosh, I can't believe that, that I'm here and how lucky, how fortunate I am to be doing what I'm doing. A great question. Uh, typically, it's it's when you walk in the night before and shoot around, and you're at Rupp Arena, mm-hmm. and, and you're thinking, "Wow, this is a, a kid from Greene County that that thought the uh, Swift City Gym was was the mecca of, of college basketball, <laughs> the Greene County tournament." Uh, so yeah, there are those times. Typically, when it when you're you're tipping off or when you're playing, those are the times you're so locked in, and um, you know you're just in the moment. Where when you look back and, and you're, you're reading articles or, you know, then you think back like, wow, that was, we were really right there. That's where we were. Or even, you know, playing Duke at the Garden or playing Duke at, at out in Portland for the PK-80. Those, those experiences that you're, you're sitting there front row involved in something that, that's such a magnitude. It's really, really cool when you turn on classics and you see a game and it's a performance by one of your players. But typically, uh, you know, I, I'm more where – Every day in practice is where I really, really enjoy um, the the day to day. And then once the game comes, it, it feels the same as it did uh, back at Eastern Michigan or Murray State, where you're you're just locked in on on, on doing whatever you can to help your guys uh, at that moment. And uh, so yeah, it, it's not as much during the game, but but definitely for shoot arounds, or especially when you turn on ESPN Classics and you see a game that you were a part of, and, and and just think back, wow, that was an amazing experience to be there doing that. Dusty, obviously, you, you've you've climbed the mountain. You're Division One head coach right now, but you did a lot of things to get yourself to where you are at today. What what's some advice you would give to a young guy out there that aspires to be a college coach or or maybe just uh, wants to be a high school coach and is looking to get a first job? What what's some good advice you can give that young coach? Well, obviously. Um you know, to, to be where you are, to be where I am. And I'm very, very fortunate that I had a lot of people that, that helped me and invested in me. Um, and, and so they're the relation, the relationship piece. And, and part of that is, is sacrifice where even as a manager, I don't think 
you know, Thanksgivings, you're working, Christmases, you might have a couple hours off. Uh, everyone else is studying abroad and, and you're going to assembly hall at 6 a.m. every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're sacrificing for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, you're missing birth dates, you're missing weddings, you're missing just about everything uh, to, to really do the best job you can uh, for your job. So the sacrifice and then just being available and, and going above and beyond for your, for your current players and, and trying to learn and grow. Um, I think that's probably the one thing that's really helped me is just being obsessed with learning and growing. And when you're trying to learn and grow, you get in contact with other people that are like-minded and then naturally your network grows and it's all, it all becomes people that are very similar to you in a good way because those are the ones that are going above and beyond trying to get better and, uh, you know, trying to figure out solutions and how to be a better coach and how to be a better recruiter and all those things. So um, I, I think that the, the sacrifice, the being available and then, and then being, uh, I guess, someone that, that's a great teammate and likable. And then when you have other assistants and other people working for you, um, sincerely saying great things about you all the time, then, then your name, um, you know, your reputation is solid. So I think as, as you're young, you're the first one there, last one to leave. So you develop that, rela- that reputation as being a hard worker. But then after that, um, you know, how good of a teammate are you? How uh, team? How much of a team ego do you have? Those types of things. But there are so many, there's hundreds and thousands of coaches that, that could do uh, my job well, that could do your job well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we obviously got to do the best job we can, but, but we, we have to be appreciative of the situation we're in and, and what others have done for us because um, I don't think I'm the only one that can do this job. I just try to do it the absolute best job, best, best that I can. You know, I've got a lot of high school coaches and, and assistant coaches that, that listen in on our podcast, and they're always trying to get better. Um, what's something that you do with your players there at Florida Atlantic that maybe is different than what what other coaches do that you really feel impacts the relationship and, and promotes your culture that you have there at FAU um, that may be a little bit different than, than what others do? Well, we, we have guys that, that are, are great people, and they, they love the game. And that's one thing that we kind of said from, from the beginning. We need players that love basketball because when you come to Boca, there's a lot of distractions. There's uh-huh. the beach, the social life. It's, it's, it's that was actually something life. I was going to ask you is how you keep <laughs> your guys focused. <laughs> well, it's tough. It's, it's tough. But, um, you know, it, it, it's getting guys that, that love the game as much as you do and then I always believe that my strongest relationships grew in the gym. And even, um, you know, growing up, we'd, we'd play or whatever. Before I had my driver's license, you'd play, and then you just hang around the gym until it was time to play again or until it was time to work camp or go to camp, whatever it was. So you just grew up in the gym, and so even your social interactions were in the gym. So I, I think that we get guys that love basketball and then – um, we, we, we do anything for them. If they want to shoot, we're there for them. It's, we, we clip up film. Um, we clip up practice, individual workouts. We clip that up every day. And even myself as a head coach, I clip all that up every single day. And then as they're passing through, they'll stop and watch their clips or talk about the workout before or the night before. We'll send them clips. And so we're always investing in them from a basketball standpoint because we obviously share a love of, of the same thing. And then usually that spurs a, a conversation on on their family or you know how they are how they're doing academically their social life whatever the case so you just because you you love helping them and they're trying to get better then it it, it just it naturally evolves into a much deeper relationship but it, uh, it, it usually starts with basketball because that's something that we both love absolutely yeah you, you talked about Boca and I I would think that would be tremendously difficult to keep guys attention where it needs to be on academics and with basketball because there's so many distractions. Um, you know, I was listening to a podcast, a John Gordon podcast yesterday while I was mowing my grass, and he had a guy from the Las Vegas Raiders on there, and he asked him, he said, how do you manage distractions? And he said, you have to be intentional about it. You you have to make sure that you stay away from places that you don't need to be and make sure that you, you dedicate your time where it needs to be dedicated and so uh, I just commend you and your staff for being able to do that. And, and I don't want to say a tough place because I'm sure it's a beautiful place, but where you would have so many distractions for your kids. Yeah, and we're very open and honest in the recruiting process because when they come down and they visit on their official visits, we go to the beach, we eat on the water, we, we do all this stuff that, that, you know, you feel like you're in a, in a, in a movie or a TV set. 
Yeah. And we say, look, we're doing all this, but this is not going to be a part of your day of your daily life. Now you can enjoy this on Mother's Day. You need to take your mom out on the water for lunch or holidays, birthday, whatever the case, you, you enjoy this. It's here to enjoy. But what we're selling is the basketball, the academics, and then it's clear blue skies, 340 out of 350 days a year with great weather all winter. So mm-hmm. as, as everyone else, there's doom and it's gray and dreary across the, the rest of the country. It, you're going to be walking to, to practice in class in shorts, and we want you to enjoy that. And hopefully your mental health is, is better because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but for the most part, we just we try to lay all that out up front that, yes, we are. Uh, we are showering you with all these things that come with Boca on your official visits. But once you're here as a student, this all changes. So yeah. we're we're very transparent with it, um, and I think our guys do appreciate that because we want we want players who want to be in the gym, who want who want to have a career after after college. And, and if, if they do, then they're they're going to have to uh, we say make that daily decision of that right turn or left turn. But the right turn is the gym when you've already been to your tutor. Uh, you've had your nap. The right turn is the gym, or the left turn is is whatever everyone else is doing socially, back at the dorms or at the beach or or whatever the case. Uh, that's your daily battle: is that right or left turn? And 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 we tell our guys that that you know we need some guys that are going to take that right turn, do that, and then they'll have time for the other stuff later. Coach, you, you've coached for a lot of different uh, personalities, a lot of great coaches, but right now in college basketball. Who is your favorite college coach um, to maybe draw things off of, use for inspiration, motivation? Who, who, who do you enjoy watching his teams play? I study um, extensively different teams every year mm-hmm. where it might be a yearly team where I'll watch 20 games just to see how they um, adapt to changing defenses, how they evolve. Um, I've really got into Bill Self lately. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's, uh, as far as X's and O's and from, a, from, from basketball, I think he's the best on both sides of the ball. Uh, the way he communicates, I, I, I think that right now, in my opinion, he's, he's the best in the game as, as far as the total package. Um, obviously, there's going to be some, some people talk about the, the Adidas scandal and whatnot, but all that side stuff, uh, barring all that side stuff, I think from a pure basketball standpoint, uh, they play with great – they have great offense, but they also play with freedom and pace. And, and I, I love the teams that have structure but aren't, aren't too structured. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. um, they, You definitely can watch and find their identity, but their players have a lot of freedom and creativity to, to do things outside of that system. And, and uh, then defensively, he holds them as accountable as, as I think you can at that level. So they, they've been a team that I've really tried to watch and study. I've, I've always been a big fan of his. And, and one of the things that I've loved I, – I, I had a – video from championship productions and I had it sitting around and a couple years ago I was just going through some stuff over Christmas break and I thought well, I'm gonna pull that up and um, there, there was a segment on there with this fist mode stuff that they do off of an offensive rebound or off of a you know if they run a set and it's busted and I'll tell you what that was great for me especially with the team that I had that year but you're right he has so many good things that they do out there out their motion and transition stuff um, he's definitely one of the best, and as we see, he won a national championship this year. Well, coach, he's one of his le- lesser talented teams. Too. I'm sorry, coach, but he's one of our le- his lesser talented teams, and, and his system evolves year in year out based on his personnel, which I think is one of the harder things to do as a coach to to adapt what how you play around your players. Oh, I would I would definitely agree with that. I, I think he's had teams that were way more talented than than this group of kids that he had this year, but he definitely maximized their potential. Coach, we are we're, we're drawing to a close here on our time, and so I just want to kind of put you through a little bit of a speed round. We we always have a little fun here at the end. So, um, Coach, you've got a lot of options down there, but if I were to give you tickets to watch any professional college team, football, basketball, or uh, tickets to a concert, what what are you going to do with them? Oh man, uh, that's a that's a great question. Tickets to anything. Um, you know, I had surgery last week, and my wife and I are, are old school Counting Crows fans. And oh, they yeah. played they played down the street the day I had surgery, so we missed it. So I'd probably just take my wife to maybe a Counting Crows concert. <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a big Counting Crows fan myself, so yeah, that would that would be a good one. That would be a great one. Um, you know, you, you talked about being sharp, you know, uh, as a coach and continuing to learn. What's a good book that you could recommend to coaches that they they could check out to improve? Um, wow. All the, the, um, 
actually the one I'm, I'm about halfway through right now. One second, Josh, I'll tell you the name of it. It's about 10 feet away. Give me one second. About halfway through it, I dove into it. The, the playmaker's advantage. And I've really tried to study uh, educators and teachers. So anything with Doug Limoff on how to teach better, how to communicate better, um, it's such a, a, a cross between sports and, and academics. But um, this book I'm reading now, The Playmaker's Advantage, has, has really, really been good for me. So I, I, I would encourage uh, any listener to read it. Okay. Yeah, I know you got a lot of options down there. But uh, if I were to come into Boca Raton today and I got to take my wife out to eat, what, where's your best recommendation? There's an Indiana grab that owns a handful of restaurants in, in Boca. And uh, the, the one little ca- local casual spot in my life I go to a lot is it's called the Rebel House. So I'd have to recommend the Rebel House, uh, not far from the water in Boca. The Rebel House. Awesome. All right. And last but not least, you're helping the wife around the house. What's your least favorite chore that you, that you do around the house? Uh, anything inside. I don't mind the yard work. <laughs> I think any anything inside, uh, probably the bathrooms. <laughs> Helping to clean the bathrooms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Coach, hey, this has been great. There's lots of really good stuff that I think coaches at any level can can utilize. But, again, congrats on all your success. And, like, like I said, you're going into year five. You guys are going to be picked toward the top of the conference. So uh, I pray that your guys can stay healthy and that you guys can continue to develop. But I, I anticipate you guys are going to be successful and – Man, I, I, I just uh, – I'd love to see you guys in the NCAA tournament. I know you want that more than anything for your kids. But uh, best of luck to you and your guys as you go through this summer. I appreciate it, Coach. I've enjoyed watching your success as well. Your teams are fun to watch. And, and to see what you guys have been able to done uh, with your program the last couple of years has been awesome. So I've watched from afar and, uh, you know, seen some of the bigger games uh, with, with – I know we were recruiting a kid from Carmel a couple of years ago, so mm-hmm. I saw you guys play then. So yeah. uh, I, I applaud your success and the job you're doing there and the program that you've built. And uh, I really appreciate you taking, uh, the, uh, taking this ride down memory lane as well. Well, I appreciate your time. And, and going back to that Carmel game, if those guys would have had any coaching that night, they would have beat the best team in the state <laughs> on their home floor. But uh, we couldn't get uh, it done. But, incredible uh, it, game, though. No, it was a great game, great opportunity for our kids. So, again, Dusty, best of luck to you guys, and thanks so much for being on with us. Appreciate it. Good luck this year. All right, you too. Well, that was a tremendous episode. We definitely appreciate Coach May hopping on with us to check it from the cheap seats. Good luck to him and the Owls in the upcoming season. Again, we appreciate each and every one of you listeners out there. Next week, tune in as we talk to Brian Lewis, the Assistant Commissioner of the IHSAA. He's going to have a lot of insights to share with you about coaching, about being an administrator. He's going to talk about the ins and the outs of the greatest, yes, you heard me say it, the greatest high school athletic association in America. Join us next week as we talk to Brian Lewis. And again, thanks to Dusty May for being on with us today. Keep chugging it from the cheap seats. Chucking It From The Cheap Seats is also brought to you by BSN Sports and Jeff Neal, their sales rep. Shop BSN Sports for a large selection of sports apparel and footwear, custom and stock Nike team uniforms, and sports equipment for your next winning season. Contact Jeff Neal at 812-204-3808 or visit bsnsports.com.